starting a new message series today from the book of Exodus called Exit Right, and, and that's what that intro was about. So grab your Bible, your phone, whatever device you use to access the Word of God, and turn with me to the book of Exodus. Let's look at it together. The word Exodus means the road out, the road out, which means that the, 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 the book of Exodus has the right title. It means evacuation. It means leaving. It has to do with just packing up and getting out of town, and that's exactly what the people of God do in the book of Exodus. It's about how they leave their life of slavery in Egypt, and they make their way to the land of promise which God has given them. But actually, the, the book of Exodus itself has very little to say about that life of slavery in Egypt and probably even less to say about the life in the promised land. Instead, as it turns out, the book of Exodus has a lot more to say about the, the in-between, the, the journey that place where you're not exactly where you were, but also not where you're going to be. It's, it's just that, that place in the middle. It's a place of uncertainty. In biblical terms, it's the wilderness. And the wilderness is always this place of, 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 of need and wandering. Uncertainty. Everything up in the air. I, I planned this series months ago months ago, but I feel like it's exactly the word of God that we all need right now. Because this feels like that. This feels like an uncertain time. It, we all know that we're not where we were, and we have no idea how things will be when we come out on the other side. We're just in this place in the middle. Actually, we're not wandering. We would love to be out of the house wandering. As it is, we're just locked down. But locked down in this kind of uneasy uncertainty where we have no routine anymore. We don't have the people in our lives that we're used to using in order to fill our lives and to fill our days. Guys, these are really strange times. I know that the Lord will bring us out of them. And I know that we have the Lord's presence in these days. I mean, no matter what, we have the Lord. God's still God. Whether you and I are isolated from one another or not, God's still God. Whether you're going to work or whether you're sick or well, God's still God. And because God is God, his power, his presence cannot be quarantined. He's still going to work out his purposes. And because God is still God, that means that Every journey through the wilderness can become this amazing uh, time of transformation and provision and, and, and miracles. So let's start the journey. In the book of Exodus, it's chapter 1, verse 1, let's just begin. I'm going to preach Exodus on Sundays when we're together online. I'm also going to do Exodus in my 10 minutes with Tim every single morning at 10 o'clock a.m. We're going to go verse by verse. So when I leave off verse 14 today, you join me in the morning at 10 o'clock and we'll pick up at verse 15. You with me? This is going to be a journey together and it's going to be good because it's God's word. Let's start. Exodus chapter 1, verse 1. These are the names of the sons of Israel, that is Jacob, who moved to Egypt with their father, each with his family. Reuben, 
Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, Benjamin, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. In all, Jacob had 70, 70 descendants in Egypt, including Joseph, who was already there. In time, Joseph and all of his brothers died, ending that entire generation. But their descendants, the Israelites, had many children and grandchildren. In fact, they multiplied so greatly that they became extremely powerful and filled the land. Eventually, a new king came to power in Egypt who knew nothing about Joseph or what he had done. He said to his people, look. The people of Israel now outnumber us and are stronger than we are. We must make a plan to keep them from growing even more. If we don't, and if war breaks out, they will join our enemies and fight against us. Then they will escape from the country. <laughs> okay, I just got to stop there. That is funny. That right there, that's just funny. Because that's, that's the Pharaoh, right? And he's introduced to us as a man who knows nothing. Now, in his day, back in Egypt, he was worshipped as a god. In his day, in Egypt, they thought he had eternal life. They thought that man had sacred power, sacred wisdom. Pharaoh thought he was God. But in this little introduction, he don't know nothing. He doesn't know anything. However, he ends up giving away the whole ending. Like, like if you don't know what Exodus is about, it's about this. Because he gives it away. He says, they're going to escape and leave the whole country. He doesn't know anything, but he just spoiled the ending here. They are going to escape and leave the country. That's awesome. It's Exodus. Let's keep going. Verse 11. So the Egyptians made the Israelites their slaves. They appointed brutal slave drivers over them, hoping to wear them down with crushing labor. They forced them to build the cities of, of, of Pythom and Ramesses as supply centers for the king. But the more the Egyptians oppressed them, the more the Israelites multiplied and spread, and the more alarmed the Egyptians became. So the Egyptians worked the people of Israel without mercy. They made their lives bitter forcing them to mix mortar and make bricks and do all the work in the fields. They were ruthless in all their demands. Can, can, can I show you something? Um, Maybe hard to see. It, it's tiny. This is my Palm Centro from the year 2008. <laughs> this was actually probably technically my very first smartphone. And I thought it was, and truly it was, in 2008, uh, a wonder of technology. I mean, th this thing was brilliant, and, and it was awesome. It, it was the top of everything. I mean, I was so excited to get it. I, it, it has a color screen. It, it had a color screen, which was just amazing to me. It, it has the ability to do uh, email and, and, and text messages. It, it kept my calendars, a PDA, a personal digital assistant. So it kept my contacts and my calendar all in one place. I'm telling you, this thing was amazing. When I got this thing, I felt like I was living in the future. 
I mean, no question, no exaggeration. I know that all of you kids born since the year 2000 are thinking, what? You know, it's like in the Bible times. And I mean, yeah, if you've been born since the year 2000, you'll give me a woot woot. I mean, you're awesome. You're great. But, but, but listen to Papaw here. This is what we had way back in the day. And it was something else. It really was. It was just amazing. When I was convincing Casey to let me get this phone, I told her that if, that if I get this phone, this would be the last phone I would ever have to buy. I told her that. The, the Palm Centro, again, I'm not selling it to you, but just understand the, the beauty of this thing. It had a keyboard, y'all. I mean, look, this whole thing is smaller than a, a, a deck of cards, and yet it has a full keyboard, and, and it's clicky. And, man, I just, this keyboard is amazing, but, but hey, hey, that's not all. My Palm Centro also had a stylus. A stylus, so I could I could actually write on the screen, and and you know, in days when your fingers feel a little bit too fat, you know, you could actually use the stylus to press these itty bitty little buttons. Man, this stylus was amazing. I, I mean, I just thought this Palm Centro was everything, and I was proud of it. And then one day at, at church in about 2009, um, Andrew Causey got an iPhone. And he was, you know, flouncing around with his iPhone. And so I, I put him in his place a couple of times, just reminding him that the Palm Centro was actually the superior device, that the Palm operating system was the very top of the game. And, and you know, he's walking around with his weird little iPhone. And I'm thinking to myself, it's got no keyboard. It's got no stylus. And in my mind, I'm thinking, that, that, that iPhone ain't going nowhere. You know, that's never going to catch on. Yeah, true story. Um, man, this Palm Centro is for me a reminder of how everything in life is just, you know, comes to pass. As in life itself is more or less this process of, 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 of getting something and holding it for a while and then laying it down because something else will take its place. Honestly, I think that life itself really just requires one primary task, and that is the ability to let things go. It, it, it's interesting how the book of Exodus begins. It begins, first off, by sort of reminding you of where we were in the story. It, it, it reminds you of the old story, the story that just left off in Genesis where Joseph had been in Egypt, right? Had become a ruler in Egypt. There was a famine in the land and all of his brothers, all of the sons of Israel, ended up coming to Egypt and they ended up staying there because of the famine, but they stayed. They stayed there in Egypt, and that's where the book of Exodus begins, right there with all those guys, that generation. And we're told about all of the sons of Israel, the, the, the children of Israel, and we're told that there were 70 of them back in Joseph's day, 70. That's the beginning, 70. However, if you call that a beginning, we're also told in the very next verse, verse 6 there, that in time, all those people are dead. They died. That generation is gone. And that's the beginning of Exodus. I find that strange. I mean, do you ever just think about that? How this story actually begins with an ending. This new story picks up where the old story leaves off. 
I, th I think there's a principle there for you, and, and especially as we think about what it means to read the book of Exodus and what it means in our own lives to, to follow the Lord. First thing you need to know, everything new begins with an ending. Everything new begins with an ending. This story here, before you can hear the new story, you've got to understand the old story, and you've also got to be ready to let that go. Joseph and all of his brothers, they're gone. That generation is dead. New story. Everything new begins with an ending, which, as I said before, is simply a reminder that one of your main tasks in life is to learn how to let things go. Exodus is about a journey. It's about the people leaving. Exodus means the road out, right? And before you can set your mind and, and, and hit the road out, it means you've got to turn away from the place where you've been. You've got to learn to leave. You've got to learn to let things go. One of the reasons why in your life nothing ever changes is because you don't know how to let things go. You don't know how to put things down. You don't seem to understand when something is over. Every new thing begins with an ending. This is just a basic principle of the spiritual life. Jesus says, I make all things new. Jesus said, if anyone is, anyone is in me, there's a new creation. Understand, everything can be new with you, but you're going to have to just be ready to let the old things go. Throughout the book of Exodus, the main problem is going to be they're going to leave Egypt, but they're going to continue to look back. I mean, remember Lot's wife? You cannot. You cannot continue to move forward while continuing to look back. It, it, it's a basic skill that some of us still haven't gotten down very well. you got to know how to let something be over. You've got to know how to end what is past so that you can step into what is new, what is becoming. Understand what I'm saying? I mean, right now, the reason why some of you are so stuck, the reason why you, you just continue to, to want something new, to want your life to be different, it's because you don't know how to put away the old. The only way you can become a new person is to stop being the person you've always been. The only way you can learn to do things differently is to stop doing them the way you've been doing them. Do you understand? You have to learn to let things go. Exodus is about leaving. Exodus is about going into the promised land, into the future with the Lord. But you can't step into the future with the Lord as long as you continue to cling to the past. Let it go. Let it go. So this it's ain't the end, but, but can I give you two questions almost like it is the end? Here's the thing. In, in your life, there are always things that are ending and always things that the Holy Spirit is beginning. And, and your important job is to know which is which. You have to understand what things in your life are, are, are done. The things you have to put away, the things you have to let go. So that's the first question. What is it in your life right now that you need to be done with, that, that needs to go, it, it needs to be ended? And then, second question, what is it in your life that, that's beginning? What's the new road, the, the next step, the, the new journey, the, the, the promised place, the future? Where, what is it that's beginning for you? You need to know that things end and things begin, 
pretty much all the time for us, the key is to know which is which. You need to let some things be over. You need to let some things begin. So the new story begins exactly where the old story leaves off, with the children of Israel. At the beginning or the ending, ever how you look at it, there are 70 of them. 70, the scripture says. That's kind of a small beginning, but in the Bible you learn pretty quickly that you don't ever smirk at small beginnings. God loves small beginnings. God loves to take something puny and turn it into something powerful. God loves to do that just because he shows off. God loves to take something impossible and then do something possible only by his power. So again, don't smirk. Don't despise the small beginning. There's 70 people, but you just wait and see what God does. Notice that it says that these 70 people, you know, they all die, but before they die, others take their place. Uh, another generation rises and takes the place of all of those first generation who, who passed away. In fact, verse 7 says, they multiplied so greatly that they became extremely powerful and filled the land. They multiplied and filled the land. If I say that several times, will it ring any bells for you? They multiplied and filled the land. Where have you heard that before? Be fruitful, multiply, fill the land. Who, who said that? God said that. In the book of Genesis, to whom? Adam, Eve. It, it, it's the divine mandate. It's God's purpose for humanity, that they would multiply, that they would fill the earth. And so what you see here in the book of Exodus, in this new beginning... It's the same purpose. God continuing to work out his same purpose. His purpose for humanity has never shifted, never changed. He wants us to be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. And the children of Israel are doing exactly that. So first thing you notice, God's people are, are fulfilling their divine mandate. That They're fulfilling God's creative purpose. And because of that, they're experiencing the amazing blessings of God. They just continue to multiply, be fruitful, and fill the land. God blesses them, and they continue to multiply. It's beautiful. It's amazing. Starts with 70, but already, man, we are multiplying. And this 70 group of people is becoming an amazing nation that God is building. The irony, of course, is that it's their prosperity. It's, it's the very fact that they are multiplying, the very fact that God is blessing them, the very fact that they are becoming so great. That, that, that's what raises the, you know, the hair on the back of the neck of Pharaoh, the, the, the king of Egypt. See, he, he sees this, this, this group, this this ethnic minority in, inside Egypt suddenly becoming the majority. And Pharaoh realizes that he just can't let that happen. He becomes threatened by that. Now, now, understand what's happening here in the book of Exodus, because this sort of sets the stage for everything that follows. Remember I said that Pharaoh in, in Egypt in his day, Pharaoh was God. He's not the only God. They had multiple gods, but Pharaoh was a God. He was considered to have divine power, everlasting life, divine wisdom. He was sacred. So Pharaoh sets himself up in this kind of opposition. 
If the people of God are fulfilling a divine mandate and they themselves are now receiving the blessings of God, then when Pharaoh begins to oppose that, he is actually opposing God. Pharaoh himself is setting himself up as kind of a rival God here. He's no Matt. But he's setting himself up as a rival, as if he's going to oppose the creator, as if he's going to oppose the very cosmic purposes of the God who made everything. See, that's the funny part. That's why it says, you know, the Pharaoh's the new king. He didn't know anything about Joseph. That's a shorthand way of saying he doesn't know the old story. He doesn't know who Joseph was, which means he doesn't know about the God of Joseph. Which means he doesn't know anything at all about God and who God is and what God can do. Pharaoh, who is a little g God, is about to meet the one true God and experience the power of the one and only God. I mean, he don't know nothing, but he's about to find some things out. No question. So as you notice, as the book of Exodus begins, we sort of have two things happening at once. They're almost contradictory, except they happen at the very same time. We have the children of Israel being fruitful and multiplying, fulfilling their divine mandate, their, their purpose for creation. And we have them receiving the very blessings of the Creator, the blessings of God. That's going on, and, and it goes on for generations. It goes on for 400 years. At the same time, we see their circumstances evolve. They begin in the old generation with Joseph as one of the rulers of Egypt. Joseph is a prince of Egypt, but eventually, you know, generation after generation, Pharaoh after Pharaoh, before long, you got some Pharaoh that he doesn't know Joseph, doesn't know the stories, and doesn't know God. So he sets himself up as, uh, as one who's going to crush what God is doing with the people of God. Do you see that? And so while God is working to bless his people, Pharaoh begins to work to crush God's people, make some slaves. You know, the way the scripture lays it out, it, it seems to happen so smoothly, so easily, but I don't know exactly how you take a great number of people in your nation and, and reduce them to slaves. I don't know how you do that. I don't know how you break the backs of people. I don't know how you remove from them all of their ability to rise up, to rebel, to resist. But before long, they are slaves. Before long, they exist in the nation of Egypt as less than others. They, they survive only in servitude. And their circumstances go from bad only to worse. Notice that verse. The more the Egyptians oppressed them, the more the Israelites multiplied and spread, and the more alarmed the Egyptians became. It's just this evil cycle because Pharaoh is determined. He is determined to crush them, but they can't be crushed. So their circumstances go, just continue to go from bad to, to, to worse, and and what we have here in, in the course of what's just a few verses, we have these years of suffering. I mean, God's people suffering 
in slavery, forced to build these great nation, these, these, these great monuments to Pharaoh and his greatness. They are forced to work. Their lives are made bitter. They cry out to God, but there seems to be no answer from God. See, this is the strange dichotomy that, that these two things happening at once, that they're, they're, they're multiplying and becoming greater and greater and greater, but their circumstances become more and more bitter. Where is God? That's the question that the Jews have asked and continue to ask through the ages. Where, where is God? When, when his people suffer, when his people cry out in these years of silence and suffering, where is God? But because honestly, for, for the life of these people, for generation after generation, they look around and they don't see any signs of hope or, or rescue. Where is God that they cry out to him? The God of, of Isaac, the, the, the God of Joseph, the God of Jacob. I mean, where is he? Well, this is the beauty of, of, of you and I being able to read the story and, and, and get this vantage point. Because we can see. We can see it in a way that, that, that they couldn't see it. And that's the thing. In the middle of your circumstances, you can't always see. You, you just can't see. So understand, what you are seeing is not always a good measure of what God is doing. They can't see what God is doing. They can't see hope. They can't see rescue. They do not see Moses coming over the horizon. All they see is slavery. All that they know is suffering. And all that they hear is the silence of God. But I'm telling you, uh, what they see is not a good measure of what God is doing. They don't see the way God is continuing to bless them. They don't see the way that they are becoming a stronger, greater nation. They don't see the way they just continue to multiply. No matter what Pharaoh does, no matter what the enemy does, they just continue to flourish. They get stronger and stronger and greater and greater, but they don't see that. They don't see it. God continues to multiply them. I mean, I could stop in every one of these places and preach to you. I mean, do you not understand what this means in your life? Because how many times do you just say, well, you know, I pray and pray and pray, but I don't see anything. I don't see anything right now in this situation in our country. Some of us are starting to feel this way. What's God doing? I mean, when will this end? How long are we locked down? What is the purpose of this? Where is the Lord? When God's people are worshiping in their living rooms in pajama pants, stirring their oatmeal, watching the preacher on the screen, surely this is not the glory for which Jesus died. I'm telling you, though, what we're seeing, it's really not a measure of what God is doing. You have no idea. I have no idea. I just know that he doesn't leave us. I know that he doesn't take his eye off of us. I know that nothing in heaven or earth can thwart his purpose to bless us. I know that. I know that. I know that nothing in the world can quarantine or cancel his plan for your life. And though your job may be pushed on hold right now and your time with your grandkids may be you know, put on pause right now, I'm telling you, God's purpose for your life is not gonna wait for anything. He's working, he's moving, and you have no idea right now what he's doing. 
It feels like a dormant time. It feels like a, a silent time. But I'm telling you, what you see, what you hear in your circumstances is not a very good measure of what God is doing. The enemy, of course, he subtracts. He takes away. Continues to make the Israelites' life harder and harder and harder. He does it by subtraction. That's how evil works. It takes away. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Understand, he subtracts. He takes away from you. And the enemy in this fallen world has some freedom to take away from us. Understand that. And in this time, the enemy is having some success. He is taking things away from us that we hold dear. But, but do you understand that the enemy works by subtraction, but the mathematics of God's blessing is multiplication. It's always multiplication. And I'm telling you, what God gives will always be greater than what the enemy takes away. What God gives you, even in this time, what God is giving you is greater, infinitely greater than everything you think you're losing. You're watching your retirement fund shrink you're watching your job prospects fade into nothingness. You're watching your own health decline, and you feel like the devil's going to take everything. I'm telling you, what God is giving, even in this time, even when you don't see it, even when you can't believe it, I'm telling you, what God gives will always be greater than what the enemy takes away. Always, always greater. So, the new story begins where the old story ends. And a new story begins in a situation that, that seems horrible. I just stop. I mean, we're still talking about Exodus, but can we talk about your Exodus? Talk about your present situation. I don't know you. I can't see you. But what about your life right now? How does it seem? You may have been fighting the very same habits. You know, they say right now that of, that of all the things that are really taking off, internet pornography sites are exploding with traffic. That means literally some of you watching this church service right now will sometime later this week be using the very same device to look at pornography. And you will hate yourself because for years and years and years you've been, you've been promising yourself that you'd stop that. And, and, and that's just one example. We all have some kind of hang-up, some kind of hurt. Some kind of habit, always struggling to be better, to do better. And we want change. We say we want change. It's just so hard to figure out how to get from where we are to where we want to be. It's that place in between that we never really manage. One way or the other, we take a few steps forward and we always end up taking steps back. We, we always cling to what's familiar, even if it is bitter, even if it is destroying us. It's what we know. And we will always cling to what we know so much easier than we will, than we will leap out toward what we don't see, don't know. At the beginning of the book of Exodus, the situation looks horrible. 
you don't see any of the glory, any of the hope, any of the promise that Joseph and his generation had. That all died with them. Now it's just generation after generation after generation of slavery crying out to God and nothing ever changes. Can I just give you a little bit of a preview of what happens in the chapters that follow? Because it's also a preview for the chapters that follow in your life, if, if you believe. You ready for it? The present situation never defines what is possible for God. In other words, you can't necessarily look around at where you are right now. You can't look at the problems. You can't look at the struggles. You can't look at, at your weakness. You can't look at any of that and get any kind of idea of what is possible because you can't even ask for, dream up, or imagine what God would do if you would just simply learn to follow This present situation for us, it does not define what's possible for God. So I said, can we talk about your exodus? Some of you have probably been wanting change for, for some time. Or, or maybe in this time of idleness, you've just got more time to think. And you're just beginning to to realize how empty your life was. While there's a part of us that continues to say, I want to get back to normal, there's also a part of us that thinks, God, help me. I don't ever want to go back to what my life was. This time with family now, I mean, there's some things about this present moment that you might actually really enjoy. I'm just suggesting to you that, that maybe getting back to normal isn't God's plan at all. Maybe what God has for us is something different, something in the future. Maybe it's not going back to what is normal, but maybe it's just simply following the Lord in, into some new land that we can't even see. Maybe the place that where we're going is not going to look very much at all like the place where we come from. But would you trust him? Would you follow him? If he wants right now to put your feet on a road that leads you out of this present life, would, would you be willing to change? In order for you to be a, a, a new person, you must be willing to stop being the person you've always been in order to do something new, different, you'll have to be willing to stop doing it the way you've always done it. If you really want a new life, you're going to have to be willing to uh, put an end to the old life. This is exactly what Jesus offers you. This is exactly what this moment offers you. I'm telling you, tomorrow doesn't have to look anything like today. Next week doesn't have to feel anything like this past week has felt. I'm telling you that this present moment really doesn't define what's possible for God, what's possible for you, if you would believe, if you would follow him. I'm just simply telling you that it's very possible that you could put your feet on a road that would take you to a very, very different kind of life. Would you start the journey? If you're willing to do so, 
want you to pray right now. Talk to God. You've got some time. Talk to him. Let him reveal to you the things in your life that need to be put away and the things in your life that need to be born. If you want to talk through this with somebody, reach out to me. Reach out to a Christian friend that you know. There is a world of people who would love to uh, walk alongside you when you're ready to change the road you're walking. I'm just saying that there's a whole new journey for you. And you could take the first step even now. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, sometimes we just feel stuck. And Lord, sometimes it's we ourselves who, who dig in our feet and, and clench our fists and, and try so hard to hold on to things that simply were never intended to last forever. Lord Jesus, will you show us the way to a new life? Will you show us the way to a new attitude? Will you show us the way to a new kind of marriage? Will you show us sort of a new way to do our jobs, a new way to be parents, a new way to learn how to live with ourselves in our own skin? Oh God, we're just so tired of bumping our heads against the same walls, of continuing, Lord, to wallow in the same habits, the same hurts, the same hang-ups. Lord Jesus, we long for change, but we cannot change ourselves. And we don't even know if we would know how to live if things were different. Lord Jesus, we need you. We need you, Lord, to set our feet on a new path. We need your strength. We need your spirit. We need to learn how to crucify the past and, and be risen to the future, Lord. We don't even know where to begin other than to begin by calling out to you, crying out to you. Lord Jesus, whatever you want from us, whatever you want of our lives, we give them to you. Wherever you want to take us, we will go. Whatever we must lay down, Lord, we will put it down. Whatever you want to give us, Lord, we reach out our hands. We only want to live our lives in such a way, Lord, where it is your life lived in us and through us, your power, your grace, your love, your faith, your hope, your joy. In days past, Lord, our lives haven't looked like that. But the way our lives have looked in the past do not define what our lives can look like in the future. Lord Jesus, help us to make our exodus from the old life. Step on a path, Lord, that will take us to a new life. In Jesus, in whose name we pray, amen.